Yes, Micah 7 is our reading. You'll find it about seven books back from the end of the Old Testament, or you can just follow on the screen. What misery is mine! I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. The godly have been swept from the land. Not one upright man remains. All men lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts his brother with a net. Both hands are skilled at doing evil. The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman has come, the day God visits you. Now is the time of their confusion. Do not trust a neighbour. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with her who lies in your embrace, be careful of your words. For a son dishonours his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Saviour. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and establishes my right. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her downfall. Even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. The day for building your walls will come, the day for extending your boundaries. In that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates, and from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. The earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants as a result of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance which lives by itself in a forest in fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days long ago. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will lay their hands on their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. 
You will be true to Jacob and show mercy to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our fathers in days long ago. Good morning, everyone. A very big welcome to you today, especially if uh, this is your first time with us. Uh, if so, my name's Scott, and uh, it's my uh, pleasure to be able to bring you God's word today. And uh, a good morning to you if you're watching us on the live stream as well. I, uh, uh, we're very glad to have you and trust that this will be a time of encouragement for you as well. Well, it feels like it's uh, back in the saddle Sunday for me after uh, being on holidays for um, a wonderful eight weeks. And uh, we feel very, uh, Cassie and I feel very refreshed um, having had that opportunity to, uh, uh, to take some time off. Uh, and thank you for your, uh, your prayers whilst we were away. Uh, it's, uh, it's been delightful to come back as well and to be uh, in fellowship with you all and uh, to see how um, uh, things have just kept on um, progressing uh, whilst we've been away. Uh, in fact, it probably uh, things have got better whilst we've been away. I might go away more often. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's, it's lovely to be back. Uh, let's, let's pray as we come to uh, think about God's word now. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, want to thank you for your um, powerful word. Uh, we thank you for its truth, its challenge, its encouragement to us. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit, that you've not left us alone, but uh, your Spirit uh, guides us into all truth and changes our hearts. We pray uh, for this as we consider this uh, uh, amazing passage from Micah chapter 7 this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A young man uh, driving uh, one day with a, with a young girl in his car, a teenage girl in his car. Uh, he swerves on a, on a gravel road and uh, goes off the road and hits a tree. Uh, she was killed and he was unlicensed. So he went to jail. Uh, for his reckless and illegal driving. I, I can't imagine the effect that that has on people, um, particularly the mum and, uh, and dad of the young girl that was killed. Uh, however, a year or so later, they, the parents of the girl, uh, did something which they even questioned themselves before they did it as to why they would do such a thing they found themselves driving to the jail uh, to meet uh, the young man uh, in the prison. As soon as my husband saw him, said uh, the mother, the wife, he just hugged him. He just hugged him. She said, it, it's not, it's, it was something that I will never forget. It's true also of the young man who was on the receiving end of the hug. Uh, it's something which he would never forget either. Um, overwhelmed with uh, nerves at the prospect of meeting these two people, uh, he had uh, written a letter that he would simply read to them. He read them this letter expressing his sorrow 
and fully accepting his guilt in the death of their daughter. And when the parents said to him that they just wanted the very best for him, um, it was life-changing. Maybe my life, he said afterwards, was worth something after all. It's a relief sort of thing. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is very powerful, isn't it? Very powerful indeed. It, it has the power to bring relief from, from shame and relief from guilt. It has the power to restore people to one another. And stories like this, which I read in the media just this, a few days ago, uh, stories like this remind us that, um, that in our secular culture uh, that there is still a retention, that our secular culture still retains something of Christian thinking, something of gospel influence. That uh, instead of denial, there is confession of guilt. Uh, instead of payback, there can be forgiveness. And I say that this is Christian thinking, uh, which has sort of been retained in our culture, because confession and forgiveness, they just don't flow naturally from us, do they? Um, but they do flow naturally from the God of the Bible, which is why at the very end of the book of Micah, uh, the prophet cries out to the Lord with this question. He asks, who is a God like you who forgives sin and pardons? Who is a God like you? And the answer, of course, is none. No one. There is no other God like that who pardons sin and, and who forgives iniquity. Micah chapter 7, our passage today, um, and be good to have that open in your Bibles in front of you, uh, it's not just the final chapter of the book of Micah. Uh, it's actually the, the high point, it's the climax, it's the, it's the point to which the whole of the book has been heading, it's the climax of the whole book. Uh, let me just um, recap for you by reading a couple of verses uh, for you that uh, were read earlier on. Uh, if you have a look at verses 18 and 19, uh, where Micah says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight. <laughs> delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show your love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Well, that's, that's enough, isn't it? We finish the sermon here. At, uh, that's what we need to know about God, forgiveness, mercy, compassion, love faithfulness to his promises. These are the qualities of God. But they were qualities which at the time of Micah were not evident in the lives of his people, the nation of Israel. Have a look at verse 1 as Micah uh, laments 
He laments by saying, what misery is mine? You see, as God's people, Israel, were to be like God, weren't they? They were to be different to the world around them. They were to be a light for the Gentiles. Uh, We see here that they were to be, uh, they were supposed to bear fruit, uh, the fruit of righteousness. And yet Micah says, like a vineyard without grapes, they have become a nation which has no fruit. They are no different from the pagan nations around them. And we see this in verse 3, don't we? Uh, where um, instead of loving their neighbour, uh, those who have got, pa- have, have got money and power, they exploit their neighbour. They exploit the, the weak and the vulnerable. Um, the ruler, instead of ruling with righteousness and justice, the ruler demands gifts. And the judge, well, he's on the take. He accepts bribes. And the powerful... They dictate what they desire. Whatever I want, I get, regardless. Living for themselves rather than living for God and living for each other. Now, Israel's leaders were so corrupt that in verse 4, Micah describes the very best of Israel's leaders as being like, like a thorn hedge. That's what they're like. Now, um, think about that for a moment. What happens when you get too close to a thorn hedge? I can tell you from personal experience. um, A few years ago, I fell headfirst into a cactus. Uh, I was visiting Peter Charles. It was on his front porch. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, do something about that cactus, please. And I tell you what happens uh, when you get too close to a thorn bush, you get pricked, you get injured, it draws blood. And that, says Micah, describes the best of Israel's leaders. Imagine the worst of them. Imagine the worst of them. Now, amongst Israel's leaders were their prophets, who are sometimes described as being watchmen, Because the the job of a prophet was to be a watchman, to keep an eye on God's people and to to warn God's people uh, when they were were steeped in sin that they needed to repent or to face the judgment of God. That's the job of a prophet. But Israel's prophets, well, they were corrupt. Um, Throughout the book of Micah, you would have seen uh, that um, they uh, were false prophets, that they were in it for themselves. In chapter 3 of Micah, we're told that they actually, they actually sold themselves. They made money by telling people their fortunes. They misspelt the word prophet, didn't they? Whilst on the other hand, Micah, who was a true prophet, a true watchman, he warned that God was about to judge Israel and that he would do so through the invasion of the, uh, of the Assyrian army. That put him at odds with the other prophets <clears throat> who told him to keep his mouth shut, to stay quiet, to not say such things because it wouldn't happen. For they told people that you don't have to worry about judgment. It's not on the table. 
It's not going to happen. And so how would people feel eventually when the Assyrian army did invade? Well, have a look at the second part of verse 4 where Micah describes that and says, The day God visits you has come. The day your watchmen sound the alarm. Well, it's a bit late, too late for that, isn't it? Now is the time of your confusion. Because when the Assyrians conquer them, how will they feel? They'll be confused. They'll say, what's going on here? Uh, why is God allowing this? Why is God judging us? What have we done wrong? The prophets told us that everything was fine. And we even paid them to tell us that. And then in verses 5 to 6, Micah warns, that his message, the true message, will divide friends and families as those who believe the warning that he gave are rejected by those who are offended by the warning. Offended to know that they are sinners. Offended to hear that they deserve judgment. Now, that, um, that's something which we can experience as well. In, for example, Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus said that when we follow him, if we are his disciples, then we are going to encounter difficulties in our relationships and uh, even uh, within our own families. Because when we believe that people need to be saved from judgment, what are we saying about people? We're saying that the way you're living is wrong that you need to repent. And we may find ourselves at odds even with those who are closest to us, our sons and our daughters perhaps, our mothers and our fathers. Um, In some places in the world, such as in communist and Islamic countries, people actually report on family members for following Jesus. Now, when Jesus warned his disciples in Matthew 10 that a man's enemies will be members of his own family, he was actually quoting from Micah chapter 7. He was quoting this passage. And so that's how I understand what this passage means in Israel's time. But it's not just within our families. As Christians, we um, we know that all people rebel against God And that one day we all face God's judgment. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but that's a message which kind of puts us in the minority, doesn't it? And we don't always like to be in the minority. Um, In our society, if we call certain behaviours sin, then we're considered to be intolerant. We're considered to be narrow-minded. We're actually considered to be the bad guys, the evil people the wrongdoers, because we say that certain things are sin. And if we warn of judgment, we can be dismissed. We're told that that's nonsense. Christians have been talking about judgment for the last 2,000 years. hasn't happened yet. We can even be uh, ignored and uh, told that we're wrong, uh, very sadly, by uh, people who are leaders in God's church, so-called leaders. And so we feel like we're a minority and in that context we can sometimes become a little bit discouraged and uh, we can feel like compromising to keep our mouths shut and to uh, 
maybe not to quite believe those things as much as we uh, would otherwise do so. That's a temptation for us. One of the challenges that um, Micah faced (coughs) was that when the Assyrian army uh, would conquer Israel, he knew that Israel, those who were true believers within Israel, and God himself would be mocked. Because in the ancient world, the, uh, uh, the, the credibility of your God <laughs> depended on how well your God went in battles. And uh, Israel being defeated, other nations would mock God and they would mock people like, like Micah. Look at you, they would say. Israel is defeated and is pathetic. Where is your God now? Ha, ha, ha. And yet Micah is filled uh, not with despair, but rather with hope. Uh, Check out verse 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Saviour. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Now, one thing I noticed about that uh, young man who went to prison after the car crash uh, is that he accepted his guilt, didn't he? He accepted his guilt. He, he didn't make up excuses and stick to those excuses and try to absolve his responsibility. No, he said, what I did was wrong. I deserved what I got. It's refreshing, isn't it? I did the crime. I'll do the time. And it's the same with sin. Um, in, in, in verse 9, Micah confesses sin. Uh, have a look at that. He says, because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Now, Micah may here be confessing on behalf of all of Israel, But he includes himself in that as well, doesn't he? He includes himself. Micah is also a sinner, deserving of judgment, as we all are. Now, some people think that in order to become a Christian, that uh, you have to, um, that you need to be a good person. You ever heard that? When in actual fact, the opposite is true. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, when the Apostle Paul explains why Christ, why Jesus came into the world, uh, what does he say? He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to be friends with the morally upright, righteous people who don't deserve any judgment because they're not sinners. Is that what he said? No, Paul says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom, he says of himself, I am the worst. I am the worst. You see, the first step um, for any person to get right with God, including all of us, is to come clean with God, um, to accept that uh, even though we might even be churchgoers, even though we might be religious, that we've not, we have not loved God as we ought, that we are sinners who deserve judgment. 
and that what we need is forgiveness. Micah knew the character of God, who in verse 18 pardons sin, forgives transgression, who delights to show mercy. And this one is what one I really love in verse 19. See what he says of God. He said, He hurls our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That is, he takes my sin, he takes the guilt of my sin and removes it from me as far as is possible to the depths of the sea. And ultimately he did this by sending his son Jesus who became like the depths of the sea for us. When our sin was removed from us and placed on him so that we can be forgiven. Now, who is a God like you who forgives sin, says Micah? Well, most religions, most religions teach that, um, that forgiveness is something that you have to earn, that you earn forgiveness by doing good deeds to somehow cancel uh, all of your sin. But that's not forgiveness, is it? That's, that's trying to pay back your debt. That's what that is. True forgiveness is free, though it cost God his son. Which for Micah was something which was well, well into, into the future, um, but there was a need for forgiveness and restoration uh, in his own day for Israel, the nation, and he foretold that. Indeed, it happened as he foretold. That Israel was defeated and was taken out of her land um, by the Assyrians first and then later the Babylonians. But Micah foretold a time when God would restore Israel. Check it out in verse 11. The day for building your walls will come, the day for extending your boundaries. In that day, people will come to you from Assyria and from the cities of Egypt Uh, even from Egypt to the Euphrates and from the sea to the sea and from the mountain to the mountain, the earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants. Israel was restored to her land again, but was never the great nation that uh, this prophecy actually um, infers or or teaches, Uh, a nation where uh, her boundaries are extended a nation where uh, people from all over the world, even her enemies, um, Egypt and Assyria, come. In fact, when Israel was brought back uh, into their land after the judgment, Israel was small and was insignificant. Whilst, Whilst God, through Micah, had promised a great nation, a mighty nation, A mighty nation with people from all over the globe pouring in, pouring in for their world is desolate. And so they come to Israel for the blessings of God. Friends, without God's forgiveness, our lives are desolate. And this is a picture here, not of a physical kingdom, but rather of a spiritual kingdom. A kingdom where God's forgiveness is freely given to all who turn to him, no matter who they are. 
no matter where they're from, no matter how they've lived. This is a picture of a kingdom which includes people from every language, from every culture, from every nation, (laughs) including us, you and me. Um, Post-holiday to New Zealand, I'm reading currently a a book uh, on... um, about the history of the gospel amongst the, uh, the original New Zealanders, the Maoris, for whom one of the, a key aspect of traditional culture was a thing called utu, which means it's like payback, uh, where uh, when one tribe is offended by another tribe, uh, it is uh, almost like a sacred uh, duty for them to... Um, to, to respond, uh, to get retribution, to, to, to pay back for what's been done to them, uh, which would then lead the other tribe to feel that they've been wronged and that they had a moral responsibility to pay back to the other tribe who would then pay back to them. And so there would be this culture of continual payback and payback after payback after payback and, and never-ending warfare between tribes with defeated enemies uh, sometimes being eaten as the ultimate payback. And people, people living their lives in constant fear of the next payback. Forgiveness and peace, the, the peace which forgiveness brings, were actually unknown in the culture. Until through missionaries, uh, Maori people, heard the gospel and, and started trusting in Jesus and experienced the forgiveness of God. And when that happened, they just kept on telling each other about this great news about the God who forgives and the God who, through his forgiveness of them, enabled them to start thinking about forgiveness of each other and an end to payback and change in culture, change in life. You know, there are some Westerners who who complain uh, that it's it's wrong for for Christians to to ruin other people's cultures by taking Christianity to them and sharing the gospel. Um, Try telling that to Maori Christians whose great-great-great-great-grandfathers um, ate their enemies. Try telling that. Who is a God like you, asked Micah, who pardons and forgives? Uh, Micah knew that God's uh, judgment was on the horizon And uh, when Israel was defeated, other nations would mock them for believing in such a pathetic God. Where is your God now? They would taunt. But in verses 15 through to 18, those enemies, says Micah, would be put to shame when they witnessed God's God's mighty hand in saving Israel and forgiving their sin. In the same way that we see God's mighty hand at work in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
who as he hung on the cross was, was insulted, was mocked. Uh, he saved others, they said, yet he can't even save himself. Why don't you just come down from the cross? And Satan thought that was his ultimate hour. The Son of God hanging on a cross. As Paul says in, uh, in Colossians chapter 2, that by his death and the resurrection that God has disarmed the powers and authorities, uh, that God has made a public spectacle of them, that Satan is shamed by this great power in the resurrection of, of Jesus and the forgiveness that comes through what he has done. God's forgiveness is absolutely stunning, don't you think? Don't you think? And yet not everyone is thrilled by it. <laughs> I mean, the proud, the arrogant, the self-righteous, uh, those who think that they are good enough for God uh, because, and that they uh, the last people who need a saviour because they're blind to their sin... They're not thrilled by the idea of forgiveness and their need for it. And they hate the idea that, that God would forgive the person who they consider to be beneath them. The person who they consider, according to their standards, has done wrong. The person, perhaps, who has gone to prison. And they are baffled when God does forgive such people, when God forgives People, even people like us. And by his power, lives are changed. How good is forgiveness? Especially when we're the ones that have been forgiven. How about you? Have you accepted God's forgiveness? Sometimes when we reflect on our lives, on how we've lived and what we've done, um, we can wonder, can't we? I don't know uh, what, what your life has been like necessarily. Sometimes there's things which we've done which we know of and God knows of. Perhaps one or two others know of and, and uh, we're, um, we're so grieved by our sin and we wonder, would God ever forgive me for doing what I did? Would he ever forgive me? Well, think of that young man about to meet the parents of the girl who died and being greeted by a hug. That's what God is like. The power of the death and the, the, death and the resurrection of Jesus is the blood of Jesus is powerful to forgive all sin, any sin, when we come clean with God. And that's God's promise to us. And God, as Micah knew, is faithful to his promises. There is forgiveness. There is peace with God and with others. The peace within ourselves, it comes through the forgiveness of God. How do we know that God is so forgiving? He sent his son to pay for our sins.
And if we are forgiven people, then, um, then how much, if God has forgiven us, then how much more should we be prepared to forgive those who have sinned against, against us? For those who, are, who in humility are seeking our forgiveness, seeking restoration, we can't hold back, can we? Not when we reflect on the grace and the forgiveness with which God has treated us, then we will want to forgive those who have sinned against us. So is there, is there someone who you need to forgive? Do you need to come clean with God yourself and find his forgiveness? Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed by your love and your mercy and your grace that you are the God who forgives sin, who pardons iniquity. Father, we just want to thank you so much for that. And we thank you how you demonstrated that in uh, Israel in the Old Testament and how you have demonstrated that most, uh, most abundantly in the death of your son uh, on our behalf. We pray for each one of us that we would contemplate uh, your forgiveness of our sin and that in so doing that we would, uh, that same forgiveness would overflow in our lives uh, towards those who seek our forgiveness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.